0: How y'all doing? You all right? Doing fine? Okay. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're at this morning. Matthew chapter 16. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We're going through a series. Together, we believe. It's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. So you guys wouldn't know it, but for the... The music folk up here and, and our, our praise team, worship team, all that stuff. Uh, a lot of things fell apart this morning, but most of you didn't even realize it. And so I'm just amazed. Our organ went out this morning. Uh, we had Nanette apparently can play like three or four different instruments. And so she was playing piano first service. Second service, she plays keyboard. And I'm thinking, what's she going to play the next service? And then um, Angela filled in for us. Gail Carr has a stomach virus. And so Hey, when life gives you lemons, you just make lemon pie. And that's what they did. So proud of these guys for that. This morning, if you did not realize, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 16, uh, Houston, Texas, is in big trouble. Uh, flooding is happening right now, and it's gotten worse and worse. Basically, uh, almost the entire city is underwater. Um, many parts of the interstate in Texas in Houston is underwater. To give you some perspective... The state of Mississippi has about 2.8 million people, give or take. The city of Houston has about 2.5 million people, just in that city, okay? So there's a lot of people and a lot of tragedy that is happening. First Baptist Houston, our sister church, and many other Southern Baptist churches there, uh, they are doing all they can to house thousands of people uh, that are looking for shelter, so if you'd like to help out, here's a few ways you can, and we'll try to post these on our website and social media um, as soon as we can. NAM, dot net. You can click, go, that is the North American Mission Board's website. You can go there and uh, find out how you can donate, how you can help the Southern Baptist disaster relief uh, arm of our convention. The third largest disaster relief as far as personnel in the country, 80,000 people trained and ready uh, to go help in Texas. It's pretty phenomenal, 80,000 people, third largest relief force in America. A second way you can help is you can go to Samaritan's Purse website, and you can help uh, donate or give or volunteer through that website as well. So those are just a few ways that you can help. If anybody knows what it's like to be where they're at, it's the people on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, right? So let's uh, think about our brothers and sisters. In fact, I'd like us just, just to pray right now for those people in Texas, okay? Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Texas and, and other places that are going to be affected by this storm, maybe New Orleans. Uh, God, we pray that you would use all of this to point many people to Jesus. Father, you are the supreme ruler of the universe, and God, you, uh, for whatever reason, have allowed this to take place. And so, God, we pray that you would use it for your glory. God, that you would help uh, prevent the loss of life. God, that you would help uh, rescue many families, individuals, uh, people that are trapped. And God, that you put your hand all over this storm. God, praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through verse 16. So if you um, are physically able, please stand in honor of reading God's Word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You may be seated. Who do you say that I am? Jesus and the disciples were walking towards the foot of Mount Hermon, and this city, Caesarea Philippi, named after uh, Philip, the, the son of Herod. And this city, ancient city, used to be called Pan, P-A-N, like a frying pan, not Peter Pan, but Pan. And Pan was a false god. He was a little g-god. Now, pantheism is the worship of all gods, uh, or the toleration of the worship of all gods. Everything is a god. Very similar to Hinduism. Everything is a god. You know, these flowers are God. Even electronic stuff is God, or a bird is a God. Everything is God. Does that sound familiar in our culture? All kinds of gods. And so here in verse 13 through 14, the truth I like to identify is, the first truth is, the multitudes were confused about the identity of Jesus. The multitudes were confused about the identity of Jesus. You notice in the text, He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so they started saying, well, they say this and they say that. Now, they say a lot of things, don't they? They say a lot of different things, and we need to be careful what they say. So one disciple piped up and said, well, some folks uh, say that you're John the Baptist. Maybe someone saw Jesus walking in the desert. And so somebody just all of a sudden started a rumor. Well, hey, this is John the Baptist. He's, I saw him crying in the desert. I saw him eating some honey with his biscuit. Maybe he's John the Baptist. Others say, well, uh, maybe he's Elijah. He's been performing miracles left and right. Uh, maybe Elijah's come back from the dead. Others, they say, well, I heard that he was Jeremiah. That Jeremiah's back and that uh, I saw Jesus weeping the other day. And I heard he's a prophet, and he was speaking with powerful words. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's Jeremiah. Friend, this morning be careful about what they say. They say a lot of things. It's not true. An example. I was thinking about what they say, and they say the number 13 is unlucky. Don't they? So I did a little research about the number 13 because I remembered I was uh, number 13 in middle school basketball. And I thought, well, maybe that's the reason I was so bad at basketball. <laughs> but they say number 13 is bad luck. Listen to the list of athletes who wore the number 13. Wilt Chamberlain, only NBA player to score over 100 points in a game against the New York Knicks in 1962. He still holds 72 NBA records, wore the number 13. Dan Marino threw for 61,000 yards in his career, still holds many NFL records. Alex Rodriguez, two-time MLB MVP, wore the number 13. Steve Nash, two-time NBA MVP. Kurt Warner, wore the number 13, Super Bowl MVP, threw for more yards in the Super Bowl than anyone ever has. Be careful. Beware of what they say. They say a lot of things. The question is this morning for you and me is what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? It's important how, to, how you answer this question. So that's when Jesus pipes up. and He says, he hears, he's very interested in what people were saying about him and also the disciples' perception of what they say. And then he asks this question. But who do you say? That I am. Who do you say that I am? Friend, when you're on top of the world, who do you say that Jesus is? When you lose your job, who do you say he is? When life falls apart, the Lord wants to know today, on this Sunday, who do you say that I am? He's a God of mountains and the valleys. Is He your God, no matter the circumstance? You see, what you declare about the identity of Jesus will have an opportunity for testing. Did you know that? What you declare about Jesus and who He is, you will have the opportunity for testing. Luke chapter 8, verse 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Life gives us, gives us opportunity to declare in the good times and in the bad times that Jesus saves. So what do you believe? What do you believe this morning? Before we look at Peter's answer, I'd like to address a popular teaching. This, you'll hear this said in many college campuses, and it's been, it's been around for thousands of years, that Jesus was a great teacher, He was a great moral teacher, great moral leader, but that he is not God. Friend, I want to say this morning, that's a bunch of hogwash. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And Satan is still trying to dethrone the validity of who Jesus is today. And he tries to speak those lies to your life and my life. Today, if you have ears to hear who Jesus is, you'll hear the truth. Not from a man, but from God's Word. A Scottish preacher named John Duncan said we all must decide. He says Christ either three things. Number one, Jesus either deceived mankind by conscious fraud. Or number two, he himself was deluded and self-deceived. Or number three, he was divine. He was who he says he was. He called this a trilemma. It's, It's a trilemma. There's a dilemma. You have to pick. 1936, Watchman Nee, famous preacher, made a similar argument in his book, Normal Christian Faith. Listen to this. A person who claims to be God must belong to one of three categories. First, if he claims to be God and yet in fact he is not, he has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he has to be a liar, deceiving others by his lie. And third... If he is neither of these, he must be God. You can only choose one of these three possibilities. If you do not believe that he is God, you have to consider him a madman. If you cannot take him for either of the two, you have to take him for a liar. There is no need for us to prove if Jesus of Nazareth is God or not. All we have to do is find out if he is a lunatic or a liar. If he is neither, he must be the Son of God. And then lastly, and then I'll shut up about this, C.S. Lewis, 1942, gave the most, this argument in the most memorable fashion. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept this claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. Listen to these words. or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious, this is Lewis' words, that he was neither a lunatic nor a friend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. What do you say this morning? Barna did a research in 2015 that says that basically half of all Americans believe that they, they admitted to professing faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. 150 Americans. I saw that and I just kind of scratched my head. Really? I mean, Really? How many of us go to church, yet we never tell anybody about Jesus? How many of us claim to love the Lord and sing to the Lord, yet we're ashamed of Him in public all the time? We, pro- we pronounce Him as Lord publicly, but privately we deny Him by our actions. I mean, if we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, shouldn't we be telling somebody? If we believe that what we're doing here this morning is special, shouldn't we be inviting people to come? If we believe he owns all of it, 10% of our, of our income shouldn't be a problem, should it? Many of us go to church and we sing with our lips. But how many of us have a walk with God where we daily seek to grow closer to the Lord every single day? For most Americans who claim to follow Jesus, their commitment to him is a mile wide and a half inch thick, shallow. It's weak as water. And it's really, I believe, not real. You see, once you encounter a living Christ, you can't help but be different, be transformed. You must get involved to have an impact. You see, no one cares about the win-loss record of the referee. Right? I mean, who cares that the referee has how many games? I mean, who who really cares? We care about the game, right? So we should care. If we care about eternity and the God's kingdom, we need to be getting involved in what matters and stop wasting our lives on things that do not matter. I am so fired up about football season, and I'm unashamed to say that. But I, I'm, some people spend more time preparing for football season, and I'm thinking, do you do that? Do you prep that much for the Lord, for God's work? I mean, we do everything for Jesus last minute, but when it comes to things that we really are passionate about, which should be Jesus, we spend weeks and months and years ahead of time preparing, don't we? And we give Jesus our leftovers, many of us, all the time. We should be ashamed of ourselves. He's God, and there is none like him. Adoniram Judson, the famous Baptist missionary that went to Burma. He sweated it out in the heat for 18 years. You see, that's the kind of people God's looking for. People that are willing to sweat it out. 18 years without a furlough. Six years without a convert. Six years without seeing somebody come to know Jesus. I think I would have packed it up year five. But six years he stayed. He endured torture and imprisonment. And he admitted that he never saw a ship sail by where he did not have the desire to jump on board and go home. And when his wife's health broke, he put her on a homebound vessel in the knowledge that he probably wouldn't see her for two years and maybe never again. And he wrote this in his diary. Uh, This was a comment from his wife if we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace, this should begin to talk about how great that would be. Adoniram Justin replied, Life is short. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I am almost the only person on earth who has attained their language to communicate salvation. What do you believe this morning? David Livingstone, missionary to Africa. Missionary Society wrote to David and said, Hey, let us know if you find some good roads where you, to, to help us get to where you are. Livingstone wrote back, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I do not want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. That's who God's looking for. Belief is determined by commitment. Commitment is determined by time, stewardship, and effort. Are you in the game today? Are you in the fight? Or do you just ride down the road, listen to the radio, complaining about how bad America is? What are you doing about it? Jesus is alive. His kingdom is on the move. Jesus is still on the throne The Holy Trinity, they're not meeting in an emergency session this morning. They're good. He is sovereign and holy, and he is inviting us to be a part of his kingdom expansion on this earth. We should be ministers of reconciliation, every single person in the kingdom. So what are you committed to this morning? You see, it's a lie that says you can't have fun following Jesus. That's a lie straight from hell. You'll have more fun following Jesus than any other time in your life. God wants to bless your family abundantly. He wants you to have good things. He wants you to have the safety of knowing Him and His protection. But He expects, if He forgives us of all our sin, and not only does He forgive us, we're about to talk about it, propitiation. You say, what? Propitiation. We'll get to it in a second. Not only did he forgive us, but he makes us righteous because of the blood of Jesus. He's written our name in heaven. He's making us new from the inside. And if he's doing, he did all that at the cross. And all we have to do is receive it like a Christmas present. Just receive that gift by faith. He expects us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. And he gave us the example of himself. Jesus was in heaven. Think about your favorite food. Got it? I know I have an issue bringing up food in sermons. I apologize. It's biblical, okay? Think about your favorite food. Guess what? In heaven, they have the best food ever. I know some of you ladies and men think you can cook. But in heaven... There's going to be a feast, and they're going to have it all all the stuff and all the fixings, and it's going to be awesome. You think those yeast rolls from Texas Roadhouse with the honey butter are good? You just wait. You just wait. But Jesus left all the comforts of heaven. He had gold streets. He had sea of glass. He had it all. And he left the comforts of heaven to come to earth to make himself uncomfortable, to be born in a manger on the backside of nowhere, in a cave or in a barn, whatever. We don't know specifically. Around animals that had fleas and ticks. And he made himself a baby, lying on his back, crying and screaming and do what babies do. He put on skin. God put on skin for us. And he didn't come just to teach us how we should live, but he came to rescue us, to save you, to give you life and purpose and to make a way for you, and there was no way. That's why Jesus came. So, what do you believe this morning? Friend, you can ride the fence if you want to, but I believe the Spirit of God's here in the house, and He wants to know today, are you going to go with Him, or are you going to go with the world, or are you going to go with yourself? You need to decide who you're going to follow today. Ball's in your court. Ball's in my court. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. So here's Peter's response. Look at it. Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. That word Christ, it means the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the hope of the nations. You're the mediator between God and man. And then he says, You are the Son speaks to the triune Godhead. Which is interesting, because Peter couldn't have fully understood it. He couldn't have fully understood the Trinity at this point. You see, Holy Spirit had not come at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit existed. The Holy Spirit was moving on the earth, but the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers like he would at Pentecost. And yet, even though he didn't understand fully, he was obedient. Which tells me that knowledge doesn't always precede obedience. Sometimes it takes faith. Sometimes it takes trusting God's word, even when we don't fully understand. Some things we may not ever understand or know. We should follow in obedience anyhow. Why? Because he's good and he's trustworthy and God knows what he's doing. Famous preacher, Vance Havner, one of my favorite preachers ever, ever. It says this, God marks across some of our days, he writes across some of our days, will explain later. Anybody testify to that? Might not make sense now, but it might tomorrow, or might next week. Might not ever make sense to you. You still going to follow Jesus? We can trust in our own knowledge and intellect and what we think and know, or we can trust in God's holy, sovereign word. You know, we knock Peter a lot of time, but he was spot on. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, because God is a holy God, guess what that means about our sin? We have a sin issue. We don't like talking about it, but we do. I do, you do, your great Aunt Sally did, your great Uncle Johnny uh, Claudell he did too. And we can get nervous about it, but guess what? Jesus took care of that. L.L. L. Morris, scholar, writes, While he may be slow to anger, his anger is yet certain in the face of sin. So does Jesus love sinners? Absolutely. Don't doubt that for a second. Does Jesus love sin? No. He hates it. In the book of Numbers, chapter 14, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Wow. Wow. So something has to give, right? A Messiah had to come. Something had to pay. Something had to atone for the sin. And we know in the Old Testament that Jesus told them, if you read through the book of Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they would slaughter these animals, right? Why? Symbolic that something was going to pay for their sins. Isn't that weird? Doesn't that seem kind of gross? Doesn't that seem kind of bizarre? You see, the Israelites knew there was nothing that they could do to attain favor from a holy living God. They couldn't be good enough. And so time after time, they would have to slaughter an animal. They would have to watch that animal being killed. You know why? Because of their sin. I mean, it gets real if you start thinking about that, seeing something slaughtered for you makes it personal. And you begin to think about your sin. I'd like us to look quickly at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. This is why Jesus came, by the way. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift. through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The wrath of God was atoned for by Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. That's why he was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. Because of your stuff and my stuff and the stuff, the sin of the whole world. And the wrath of God was laid on Jesus. The punishment that was for you and for me was laid upon Christ. And the wrath of God was appeased at the cross. So, that word propitiation, okay, it means that not only were your sins paid for, atoned for, substituted for, but also when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, when he rose again, he reconciled us to God. What does that mean? not only was the punishment, the price for sin, paid, but because of his, our faith in Him, we are justified by His righteousness. It means not only are we forgiven, but we are made righteous. It means we're good. Okay? It means you're okay. If you believe in the gospel, you don't have to strive to please God. He's already pleased based on what Jesus did on the cross. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to wake up in the morning fretting, thinking, well, how am I going to please God today? How am I going to not blow it? Jesus is satisfied in the sacrifice that Jesus made. God the Father is satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ. And yet, we walk out these doors and we start to try on our own effort to please God and to, to gain His affection and to Uh, make up for all of our bad stuff with all of our good stuff. And that is not the gospel. We serve because we've been set free. We love people because he first loved us. We're not just forgiven at the cross, but we are made not guilty because Jesus was made guilty on our behalf. God is eternally pleased with us. Why? Because you're Baptist? Certainly not. Because of your denomination? No way, Jose. He is eternally pleased with us because you volunteer in the children's ministry? Nope. Because you come to every single service at our church? No. Because you give such and such? No. no. He's eternally pleased with us because the atoning work by Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the gospel. Ball's in your court. What are you going to do with it today? Do you know Jesus? Jesus. Not just, I believe in Jesus, but I mean, have you submitted your life to the lordship of God? He's either Lord of all of it, or he's not Lord at all in your life. And it's very possible for people in the church that teach, that are deacons, elders, spiritual leaders, it's possible for pastors to stand on a stage and be lost as they can be. Do you understand this, church? And we need to all test ourselves and make sure we are in the family of God. And if not, today you can be. You can come to Jesus just as you are. And he can save you, friend. He can set you free. Well, somebody's going to think something about me. I've been teaching Sunday school for 20 years. Well, I've been going to this church for 10 years. Or my my cousin's in the crowd and he's going to think less of me. I want to encourage you. Please stop worrying about what people think about you. And start giving consideration for what the God of the universe thinks about you. And if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will stand holding your sins and having to give an account. And judgment will be on your head. And friend, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And it's a real place. And I don't like talking about it. I don't like preaching about it. But it's in the Bible. And unless you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you will spend eternity there forever. But you don't have to. Today can be the day of salvation for you. In the Old Testament, the priests would slaughter those animals, and then they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. that's what Jesus did for you. He shed his blood for you, for me. God's not impressed with works, with works righteousness. He is pleased with his son. And his son came to save and rescue us. And not just us, but he paid for the sins of the whole world to all who would believe. And so after you come to know Jesus, you join that kingdom, and you, join, you become a minister, a reconciler. You don't just, oh, I'm good, I've got fire insurance. No, that's not it. In fact, if that's your mindset, you might not be saved. Friend, Jesus paid the price, and he can make you new, brand new, from the inside out. Am I being clear here? I don't want to be unclear. Romans chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So what do you believe this morning? There's people having all kind of identity crisis today in our culture. Taylor Swift came out. She dropped a new single this weekend. And I listened to it last night, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Bless her heart. But there's many of us in the church have identity crisis. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, about Taylor Swift, praise God. Praise the Lord. But our culture is so warped. And so some of the teenagers in here, well, she was just doing that for revenge. Friend, if you know Jesus, it's not up to you to take up with revenge. That's that's the way the world thinks. If you're saved, you you let God take care of that. All right, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to leave it there. Jesus, take the will. That's Carrie Underwood. Anyways, but there's identity crisis in our culture. And friend, we don't have to worry ourselves. It's not our job to fix everything in the world and in our culture. Okay? Lost people act lost. That thing in Virginia, that's what lost people do. And we act like we're surprised when lost people act a fool. I mean, that's what people do. We shouldn't be surprised. We need to be more focused on what we do and what we can control to stop getting riled up about things that that really we shouldn't be surprised by. We need to be riled up because people defame the name of Jesus. We need to be riled up because people claiming to follow God are racist. People claiming to know God on both sides of the coin and acting like an idiot. That's not what believers do. Believers are different. We are the salt and light of the world. Do you know this Jesus this morning? I mean, do you have a personal relationship with this Jesus? Today you can believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Ball's in your court, ball's in my court. They say a lot of things, don't they? They say nothing good comes out of California. I'm just joking, guys. California raisinettes, these, cal- these are California raisins covered in chocolate. Who parked in the parking garage this morning? Anybody? Brandon? Merry Christmas. Now, there's a new member. There's a new member... Somebody else parked in? You did, Dave? (laughs) You rascal. We'll talk after service. But it's the little things that says we believe that Jesus saves. Now, thankfully, we've got a lot of nice parking and and most of us, we don't have to park anywhere uncomfortable. But coming in the future, in this country, there's going to be a time of separating the sheep from the goats. And they're gonna start locking people up that claim Jesus is Lord and Savior. And when that day comes, friend, you need to decide today who you're gonna follow. Because what you decide today will determine your outcome tomorrow. I'm going with Jesus. And most of our church I believe with all my heart is going with the Lord. Who do you say that I am? Let's bow our heads now for time of invitation. You may be here this morning and you're wondering why your life is such a mess. It could be because the Lord is pursuing you and working on you and letting your world fall apart so you can see that Jesus is all that matters in your world. It could be that you don't know Jesus, and he's drawing you to himself. Maybe you're a Christian in the house this morning, and, and you know the Lord, but you've been guilty lately of trying to please God and trying to make your own sacrifices. And friend, you've, you've seen from the sermon that God's not really impressed with that. And maybe you need to just come to God and say, Lord, forgive me for trying to add to the gospel. God, would you forgive me for trying to add to the good news that Jesus is all I need, that he is sufficient? If that's you this morning, just lay that at the Lord's feet and come to him and ask him to forgive you. And the Bible says he will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll purify you from all unrighteousness. Friend, today, maybe, especially if you're a believer in the house, you need to rest in Christ, You need to rest in the gospel. You need to rest in the fact that we can just sing loud that we believe in Jesus the Son. God, thank you for the cross. Father, we pray right now. Lord, in this time of invitation, you would move for your glory. God, that you would draw lost people to yourself. Lord, that you would set people free. God, you would begin to heal marriages and individuals. God, we pray, Lord, that you would Rescue us from dangerous paths that we may go down. God, that you would stop us because you love us. God, I pray that you would excite us and fire us up about what matters. Lord, set a fire down in our soul, Lord, that we cannot contain, that we cannot control. God, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.